The views, opinions, and conclusions expressed in the upcoming program are those of the participants and program owners and not necessarily those of Las Vegas Broadcasters Incorporated or its employees, management, or owners. Are you between a rock and a hard place? Are you not sure if you're a sinner or a saint? Do you think you've lost your salvation? Let me take you to the New King James Version. In the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 12 through 14, and Jesus says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is strained? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Welcome to Save the Lost at All Costs. Posted by Save the Lost at All Costs, Inc. Featuring your sister in Christ and humble servant of the Lord, Nina S. Griffin. Good afternoon. You're listening to Sister Nina S. Griffin, and we are on Save the Lost at All Costs. We're going to open up the phone lines right away. If you are local in the Las Vegas area, to join in on our discussion today, if you have a praise report or a prayer request, we'd love to hear from you. That number would be 702-650-5588. I say again, 702-650-5588. If you're calling outside the Las Vegas area, we do have a toll-free number for you to dial in. That would be 800-366-8883. Again, the toll-free Free number for those calling outside the Las Vegas area, 800-366-8883. We are being streamed live, audio and visual, or shall I say video, from KKVV's website, which is www.kkvv.com. Hello and God bless. I just waved to you. Also, we're being streamed live from Save the Lost at All Costs' website, and our website is www.savethelostlv.org. If you have missed any of our previous broadcasts, please visit our website, www.savethelostlv.org www.savethelostlv.org. Select the date that you'd like to listen to. They're all available for you, and the gospel is always free on our watch. Come back as often as you like, as listen as many times as you like. We're also being archived over on iTunes. So if you have an Apple device, you can catch us on iTunes as well. Also, if you have a cell phone, most people have a cell phone. If not, they have access to one. So if you want to listen to us right now in real time, or anytime you'd like to listen to KKVV, then you can dial your cell phone number, which, well, you can dial this number, okay, to listen on your cell phone. How about that? I caught that and fixed that, didn't I, Brother Dale? That would be 563-999-3194. Again, 563-999-3194. There's only one caveat. You have to be in the United States for it to work. All right? So now that we've done that, uh, we'd like to welcome my dear cousin in Christ, man of God, that would be Tim Cunningham. How are you, man of God? How are you, cousin Neely? Good, good to hear from you. I'm wonderful, and we would be remiss if we didn't wish our cousin Kirk, also Pastor Kirk, a wonderful and blessed birthday. So happy birthday, cousin. And believe it or not, uh, cousin Tim Janika, his daughter's birthday is the 26th of June. How about that? So we're going to wish our cousin Janika a happy and blessed birthday as well. And to all our family members who are out there listening and, you know, close friends, we love you from all over the United States, different time zones. Thank you. And, Tim, let's get to it. Uh, you wrote something, so could you uh, bless us with it? Yes. Um, I wrote an essay um, several weeks ago in response to just a concern that I'm having just in many of the modern churches 
um, just the concern of uh, it seems like many churches are going away from teaching uh, Bible doctrine, Bible theology, and instead they're replacing it more with um, sermons that are appealing to the non-believer, um, sermons that are appealing to people's emotions and feelings and psychology and psychiatry and things like that, and, and just really getting away from teaching the truths of Scripture. So I wrote this essay, and it's called Truth and Love, This Doctrine Divide. And I'll read about half of it, and then we can discuss uh, it, and then we can talk about the next half next week. Does that sound okay. good? That sounds good. Could you repeat the title? Because that's going to be our topic today. Yeah, the topic is Truth and Love, Does Doctrine Divide? Right. So that you formed that as a question. Did I get that right? That is correct. All right. I'm listening, brother. All right. The essay reads as follows. There is a growing belief in many churches that doctrine or an emphasis on theological clarity is somehow divisive and hurts a church in its growth and development. Many have now replaced doctrinal clarity and conviction in the name of quote-unquote unity and quote-unquote love. Those that subscribe to this claim argue that all we need is to name the name of Christ and we are good. In other words, since, all, since we all love Jesus and want to follow him, then what is the need for doctrine or theology? As long as our hearts are sincere, isn't that all that really matters? There can be no unity in the church without doctrinal truth. The one thing that brings believers together is Jesus Christ, who called himself the truth in John 14:6. And where is his truth revealed? On the pages of Scripture, John 5:39-47. Being unified in Christ is predicated on being unified in his truth. The apostles and other Bible writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, were not led by the Spirit to write down truth and doctrine, only to have it suppressed by some in the church. In other words, if the Holy Spirit thought it was important to lead men to write it, then who are we to ignore it and not teach it? Those that do so are editing God. God places no virtue on biblical ignorance or lack of discernment. He warns us not to be children tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine, Ephesians 4.14. But for some reason, the modern church is more concerned with feelings, emotions, and experiences instead of the deep things of God. As a result, we have many people in churches today that suffer from spiritual malnourishment. They have replaced the objective truth with subjective feelings. A person that has a faith based on feelings, emotions, and experiences is vulnerable to deception and false teaching. This is because feelings and emotions change like the wind and have no roots or anchors. A church should not run away from teaching doctrine and theology, but rather should be known for doing so. It should be their hallmark, their DNA, their fingerprint. Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. The word of God and all of its doctrine and theology, which is the truth that Jesus refers to, sanctifies. It does not divide. It empowers the believer to live the Christian life. It does not divide. It forms the believer into the image of Christ. It does not divide. Jesus asked for his disciples to be sanctified by the truth of Scripture because that would be the means that would form their unity after he departed. The common denominator that each of them would have after Christ's departure would be the empowering of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. And who is the author of Scripture? The Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of each of the disciples. And one of his means of revealing himself to them was through the Word of God, which he is the author. 
the Holy Spirit moved men to write the words of Scripture, 2 Peter 1.20. And not only is he is the Holy Spirit the author of Scripture, but he wrote it in such a way that it would be profitable for doctrine, 2 Timothy 3.16. If God knows that doctrine is important, and he tells us it is the primary reason in which the Bible is profitable, then why do some in the church want to ignore it? The doctrine and theology that the apostles wrote to form the New Testament did not divide them. It was the basis of their unity. Not only did the truth sanctify them, it joined them together. All of them, except for John, was martyred for the faith in their love and loyalty and commitment to the Scriptures. Doctrine and theology has never divided those that love it. It only divides those that are indifferent to it or are against it altogether. The Church, those that are genuinely redeemed, crave the Word of God. They want it taught and explained. Unfortunately, there are many in churches today that are not getting the Word taught and explained. They are not getting rich theology and doctrinal clarity. Instead, they're getting Bible talk, but no Bible teaching. The reason for this is because some in the pulpits today have no desire for serious study of the Word of God. They have no interest in digging up all the rich treasures of Scripture and using analogous scriptura to explain the Bible with the Bible, to interpret the Scripture with the Scripture. But not only this, some today are even proud and boast of the fact that they have gotten away from teaching sound doctrine and theology as if it were some kind of badge of honor. R.C. Sproul said, The culture is embedded in proud mediocrity, and some in the pulpit have fallen prey to that same proud mediocrity. They have become proud in being mediocre Bible teachers, and they want to entertain, be comical, clever, and witty in order to be appealing, hip, and cool. The man in the pulpit, which once was described as excellent, beautiful, and truthful, is now being described as funny, clever, and appealing to a culture that relishes novelties and entertainment and have lost the desire for solid, rich study of Bible coupled with self-examination. They have little or no interest in being known for clear, concise, and unapologetic teachers of the Word. This is why there is a slow progression from teaching doctrinal truth and its theological implications. They teach a gospel without the law and a faith without repentance. They teach the gift of salvation without a mention of the cost of discipleship. Have you ever considered that if teaching sound doctrine in the church was not important to growth and spiritual development of a church? Then why did Paul instruct Timothy about doctrine? He told the young pastor Timothy to be constantly nourished on the words of faith and of sound doctrine, 1 Timothy 4, 6. And again, he said, pay close attention to yourself and your doctrine, 1 Timothy 4, 16. He later warns Timothy that if anyone advocates a different doctrine, to take note of that man because he is conceited and understands nothing. Again, he warns the young pastor that the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine, 2 Timothy 4, 3. The Apostle Paul, the mentor and spiritual father to Timothy, felt the need to tell him the importance of doctrine in the church. Why did he command the young pastor to be on guard for doctrine? Why did he also command the other young pastor named Titus to exhort and refute in sound doctrine, Titus 1.9? Why did he tell Titus to instruct the men to be pure in their doctrine, Titus 2.6? Why did he tell Titus to instruct the bond slaves to be obedient to their masters so they will 
adorn the doctrine of God, Titus 2.10, because it is vital to the church. It must be taught and preached. A church without sound doctrinal clarity and conviction is a weak church. It is susceptible to false teaching and aberrant theology. To call something divisive that God has commanded to teach is wrong. Paul went on to conclude his thoughts by telling Titus to speak these things and exhort with all authority and let no one disregard you, Titus 2.15. In other words, he is telling Titus to talk about doctrine and to do it behind the authority of Scripture. And that's the first half. All right. Praise God. Now, we talked uh, a little bit before um, you came on the air today, and I'd like you to take us to 1 Corinthians and how it sums it all up. Would you take us there? You wanted to share those scriptures with us, and then I'd like to have a conversation with you. Yes. Um, <clears throat> the scripture is actually 2 Corinthians 11. Okay. 2 Corinthians. Okay. Thank you, cousin. Uh, 11, 25 to 28. Okay. Would you read that for us? And let us know what version you're coming out of, please. Yeah, this is the uh, New American Standard. Okay. And Paul says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I've spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers of rivers, dangers of robbers, dangers of my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, Dangers in wilderness, dangers of the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And then here's the key right here, verse 28. Apart from all of these things, there is a daily pressure on me of a deep concern for all of the church. And that, Nina, is probably the reason I wrote this, because I have a deep concern for the church. But it... It, it amazes me when Paul lists all of his sufferings, all the things that he went through, um, the thing that just gripped his soul and that just could, he could never let go of was his constant concern for his churches. And this is why we see in Acts 20, when he told the Ephesian elders, he warned them that after I leave, there's going to be false teachers coming in even from within the church to pull away people after themselves. And then he said this, he said, and I've warned you day and night with tears. Paul loved the church. He had a concern for it. Um, he saw uh, the false teachings and the watered-down gospel, uh, different gospels coming in then, and we still have it today. So that's really um, the reason that I, I chose to wrote this and discuss this, because I see it going on in so many of our modern churches and um, I just felt the need to, to speak on it. Well, I appreciate that. And again, if you're just joining us, we're talking about truth and love does doctrine divide. And uh, my special guest today is someone near and dear to my heart is uh, my cousin and a very amazing man of God. That would be Timothy Cunningham. Tim, you, you said something that was very, very powerful, uh, and the scriptures speak to it. Uh, Paul didn't have this feeling every now and then. He said it was daily. Yes. So it never left him. Right. And ever since he was called, this was something that was growing more and more and more. And we have to understand that the time that the Apostle Paul was preaching and teaching the gospel, uh, it was a life and death statement that he was making because uh, the Romans weren't happy with that. And they were burning Christians. They were killing Christians. When you... 
made a public statement of your faith because they had to be baptized, uh, then they would stand around and they would watch to see who was being baptized. They were watching to see where the people were going as far as who they were following, who they were listening to. So even with all that and then all the abuse that he had taken, and he took uh, abuse eternally, I mean, internally, you know, with the amongst his own brethren at one time when he first came on the scene because they weren't sure if his conversion was true. So, um, you know, Paul has endured a lot for what he believed and what he believed was right because he believed on our Lord uh, and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it's important that people understand that this wasn't an every now and then feeling. This was a daily feeling. This is something that uh, he was passionate about. He was willing to die for, and, and subsequently it did cost him his life. I want to go back to some of the scriptures that you mentioned. Um, the first one I'd like to look at is that um, who Jesus says he was. You told us that uh, he said that he was the truth, and that would be in John fourteen sixteen. Now, I have the New uh, King James Version, and I like to read that. So John 14, 6 says this. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, that pretty much lays it out. But also you said that um, the church, I think we need to qualify who the church is. It's not a location. Would you agree? Yes. So could you expound upon that? Because a lot of people, when they hear the word church, they have a different definition. Yes. Um, and it's the true church, okay? Because there are a lot of churches out there. Yes. Um, <laughs> so. the, the, the true church, um, as God originally designed and intended, is the body of Christ. That just simply means the church of God is the gathering of the redeemed, it's the gathering of the saints, the called out ones, um, the meeting of those that are saved. That is the church, that is the bride of Christ. When Christ comes back for his church, he's only coming back for the redeemed. He's not coming back for a building, he's not coming back for the unbelievers that are mixed in among the believers. Um, unbelievers obviously attend church, and they should, um, but the church as we see in Scripture, is the called-out ones, the saved, the elect, those who have been born again. Um, in Ephesians 4, when Paul lists the gifts of a pastor and teacher, he says it's for the equipping of the saints. Um, the saints are the church. And then it goes on to say later in that chapter that to build up the body of Christ. So in that uh, chapter there, we have terms, the saints and the body of Christ. That's the church, and the pastors and, and pastor teachers have been gifted to edify the saints. Um, their gifts are there to build up the church when they gather. So right. the church, the, the biblical church, is um, those who are saved and redeemed, as we see early on in Acts and then going on throughout the New Testament. Well, it's important also when we look at Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 12, and again, I'm in the New King James Version, 
uh, verse 11 says, and he himself. Now he is capitalized and himself is capitalized. So let me continue here. Verse 11, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He himself gave these. So you are absolutely right when you say it's about the believer. Yes. Uh, but look, the primary, the, the role, the, when a pastor gets up and preaches every Sunday or Wednesday or whenever they have uh, church, whenever they open the doors of their church and a message is being given, a sermon is being given, that sermon is to be designed for the saints. Sermons should never be designed for unbelievers. Why? Because Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the natural man, the unsaved man, can never understand the things of God because they are spiritually discerning. So you can't, an unsaved person can never understand the scripture until the spirit has enlightened them and illuminated it to them and, and the spirit and Christ has drawn that person to himself. So when the pastor preaches, as the Bible says, it's for the equipping of the saints. The sermon should be for the building up of the body, the edification of the body, so then the body can go out and evangelize. The church comes in for edification, and they go out to evangelize. I received that. Now, you also mentioned John 5, and we look at verses 39 through 47. And again, I'm in the New King James Version, and the Word of God says this, Verse 39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. 40, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. 41, I do not receive honor from men. 42, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. 43, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. 44. How can you believe who received honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. 47, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And this is the Lord Jesus Christ making the case against those who are in leadership because they were very concerned about the Old Testament, which is Moses being given the law, but they didn't recognize the one who actually wrote the scriptures, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I'm like, we, we, we have to get this, man of God. We have to get this, and we have to get it as believers. Yes, and, and, and I use that, that passage in my essay um, just when I was talking about that, you know, there can be no unity in the church without doctrinal truth. Sure. And the one thing that brings believers together is Christ, but Christ, remember, said he is truth. Definitely. So then he goes on to say here in John 5, okay, he says, John 14, he says, I am, I am the truth. But then in John 5, he says, well, where do you find that truth? He says, in the scriptures. Right. Okay? So for a church to want to eliminate doctrine and theology is to eliminate the scriptures, because 
the Bible is doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching. So any biblical teaching is biblical doctrine. Theology just means basically a layman's definition is just the study of God. So to get rid of those key components is basically eliminating the Bible or as I like to say, editing God, because now what you're doing is you're like a newspaper editor. When the reporter gives the editor the story, they go into the story and they pull out things they don't like, and they say, no, put, move this paragraph over here, take this sentence out, and they take the reporter's story and they edit it. They take things out or they change the story. So when pastors or other Bible teachers want to eliminate doctrine and theology or water it down, they're like a newspaper editor. They're just editing God, and who are we to do that? I mean, that's how dare anybody take the Holy Scriptures and edit it and change the message when the apostles gave their life for that? Well, the thing is, is that how are they going to be sanctified in truth? When you have John seventeen seventeen, it says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And then the Y in word, uh, your is capitalized. It's also yes. capitalized twice. I mean, sanctify because it's capitalized because it's the beginning. But when you get towards the end of the first sentence, your truth, your word is truth. Your, they're actually saying that, you know, that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. That belongs to God. That belongs to the Holy Spirit. That belongs to the triune God. So it's not our word. As you say, we have no right to edit God. We have no right to do that. That's, that's heresy. That's heresy. Right. And when it says, when Jesus says, uh, when he prayed to the Father, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. He means every word. Exactly. Cover to cover, first chapter to last chapter, not bits and pieces. Well, I don't want to preach about that because that may make people uncomfortable. Or I don't want to touch that issue because that's a hot topic right now, and I don't want to offend people. No, all of it is the truth. And, 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 and by the way, there's no salvation apart from the truth. No, no, there's not. But you you hit on a key thing, and I'd like to take an excerpt from your page uh, uh, as far as your paper. It says, this is the first page, it says, A person that has a faith based on feelings, emotions, and experiences is vulnerable to deception and false teaching. This is because feelings and emotions change like the wind and have no roots or anchors. A church should not run away from teaching doctrine and theology, but rather should be known for doing so, it should be their hallmark, the DNA, their fingerprint. Now, let's get back into these emotions. I mean, a lot of people, uh, they go to churches where they, they rile them up. I mean, they exist. You know it, and I know it, and, you know, our listeners, if they're honest, they know it too. So the thing is, is that, is that a true conversion? You know, that's a different topic for a different time but ask yourself were you led because you were feeling a certain emotion or did you have a certain feeling or shall I say feelings because you can have more than one feeling simultaneously you know the the truth is not a feeling the truth is true you know the Lord Jesus Christ is not a feeling the savior to the world the whole world is not a feeling so to base it on a feeling or emotion, as you say, it is deception. So could you expound upon that, please? Yeah, I mean, I think probably the best analogy you can look at it is, is a marriage. 
um, you know, every, you know, if people are married 30, 40, 50 years, every day they're not going to feel married. They're not going to feel like being married. But their marriage is based on the truth of their vows. So the truth is what stands, not feelings or emotions. Um, you know, it's very dangerous to have... So a, something like for better, for worse, is not based on a feeling then, right? Right. No doubt about it. It's, it's, it's based on a vow, a commitment. So to have a faith that's based on, you know, uh, uh, a feeling or, or an emotional experience, I'm not saying that those can never be real or those can never be genuine. We see people in the Bible. I mean, I think of the, the harlot that, that wept at Jesus' feet. Sure. But that, but that was a weeping of repentance. Sure. So if your feelings and emotions are coming from deep communion with God, whether that's in praise and thankfulness, there's tears of joy that people have um, when they're thankful that God has, has blessed them and, 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 and doing great things in their life. There's, there's emotions of brokenness and sorrow. I mean, when David wrote Psalms 51, he was broken over his sin. So I'm not saying that, that the Christian walk never has feelings or emotions, of course. And God made us that way. God wired us with those things in our nature, and I'm, I'm grateful for those. I'm saying that when, when, when churches appeal to the emotions and the feelings and, and want to make church a party, church is like a club, it's a social event, that can, when it becomes dangerous because now people tend to believe that that's what church is about. It's about entertaining me. And then when it's time to start preaching, they're bored because now the music has stopped, the lights, the flashing lights and everything has gone away, and now it's really sit, time to sit down and get into the scriptures, and that's why many of them uh, are falling away from the church because once that, is, that experience and that feeling leaves and I have to really get down and dig into the scriptures, well, I don't want no part of that. I want that, that doesn't appeal to my feelings. So it's just dangerous. And also, too... False teachers, uh, they go after vulnerable people. You remember when uh, Paul warned Timothy that false teachers would come in and take captive gullible women? Sure. Yeah. So it, 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 it's very, it, it, it should not be, you have to be very careful because false teachers are very smooth and they're shrewd. And they and look, all you do is turn on the TV. Guys talking about, you know, uh, send me $100 and I'll take away your back pain. Well, they're preying on vulnerable people who are looking for a feeling or emotion, and they're not basing their faith in the truth of Scripture. When I say subjective feelings versus objective truth, objective truth means it's outside of us. The, the truth of the Scripture is the truth of the Scripture whether I believe it or not. It's the truth whether you believe it or not. It's still the truth. It's right. objective. It comes from God. It doesn't, it doesn't come from within me. But subjective feelings all come with, from within me. Right. That's all. That's all feelings that have generated within myself, and they're subjective. In other words, they can change at any moment. It's like watching a sporting event. One minute you're on an emotional high because your team scores a touchdown, and then you're devastated because they lose. It, that that feeling can literally change in seconds. Definitely. And, and to have a Christian faith based on feelings that you have when you watch a football game, is dangerous. Right. Well, see, you know, God is love, and love is God. And the thing about God is he's never failing. He's never changing. 
and uh you know he's slow to anger he's long suffering uh he um is who he is and it's not about what he does and a lot of these things in the modern churches they all based on what they do and they want to knock uh, a particular church or a particular pastor uh who's teaching as he should teach because of numbers. Now we're going to get into that, you know, next week because some people uh, will definitely uh, look at a uh, a body and say, well, it it doesn't have uh, that many members. So if it doesn't have that many members, uh, they can't be doing anything good in there. Well, I would um, say if we look at parenting, uh, I believe you have one child, Tim, and I have one child. And I'll put my one child against anybody that has numerous children because I know that I'm doing my job as a parent. It doesn't make me any less than a parent uh, based on how many children I have or I don't have. And there are some people who don't have children as far as physical children, but they have spiritual children where you know they are uh, blessing them, teaching them. Uh, discipling them and making sure that they are sound in the doctoring and the teachings of what God has in his holy scriptures. Uh, I would definitely consider Pastor Terry uh, a spiritual father of mine. And, and I thank God for him. Is he my natural father? No. But he's done just as much for me, if not more, because he's prepared me and equipped me to do what God has called me to do. He recognized that in me. That wasn't something that, you know, my natural fathers, uh, I've been blessed with too, um, worked on me. They gave me a foundation, but Pastor Terry, you know, he took it to a whole nother different level. And and I appreciate that. So, you know, we need to um, definitely not dismiss um, people who are in a particular body by numbers because uh, that is a, a deception, too. Well, and I think just to piggyback on that thought, if you have your Bible with you. Yes, I do. Um, turn over to Acts 28, verse 30. Okay. All right. I'm there, man of God. Okay, now, <clears throat> for people that don't have their Bible, I'll just give them a little context. Here, this, this, is the, this is one of the last two verses in the book of Acts. And as we know, um, Paul, was, as of Acts chapter 9, was converted um, and went away and came back and started to preach. And here's a man who uh, was, other than Christ, was the greatest Christian to ever live. He stood before many people in the synagogue and preached. He went before Festus and Agrippa and Felix and told him about the grace of God, and all of them rejected, and so on. And this great story of him in Acts, and then this is the beautiful thing about it, and this goes back to what you were saying about uh, church numbers that mean anything. Here he is in Acts 28.30, and this is Paul, and it says this, and he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So what does that mean? That means that Paul was ministering in his own house. Amen. And he did it for two years. So here's a man who didn't concern himself with numbers. He didn't concern himself with filling seats and building a massive church. This man was in his house, in his rented quarters, and anybody that wanted to come, he would preach to, and teach them about God inside of his house. Now, that says 
amazing things to me about him and how much he loved God and loved the Bible because he easily could have been, hey, I'm Paul. I want a mega church. <laughs> I'm Paul. Don't you know who I am? I mean, I've, I've been to the third heaven and back. I'm, I'm Paul. I wrote 13. I'm, I'm God's going to lead me to write 13 books in the New Testament. You know, I'm the amazing Apostle Paul. But where do you see him after all of his, all that narrative in Acts from chapter 9 to the very end? Where is he at? He's in a house, Nina. Yes. Preaching the Bible in his own house and welcoming people as they came to him. So I would encourage pastors who have small congregations, small numbers, whether that's 5 to 15 to 20 to whatever, to be encouraged because it has nothing to do with the numbers. Um, it's all about your message and how God is using that message into the life of other people that come and hear you speak. So I think this is a great illustration for pastors who are seeking big churches and, and wanting to have massive congregations. It has nothing to do with it, nothing. Paul finished up in Acts, and he's in his house having Bible study. <laughs> It's amazing to me. I love that. I just love the way that book ends. Well, the, the thing is, is that it establishes relationship to me, that Paul knew the people who came to uh, his home. He wanted to get to know them. He wanted to have a relationship with them because he wanted them to see how he was walking. See, it's very important. There are a lot of people who come up in a pulpit, but you can't get close to them. They are surrounded by bodyguards. Now, I don't know why a pastor needs a bodyguard. Now, I know why, you know, a criminal would need a bodyguard, but I don't know why a pastor would need a bodyguard. Uh, in addition to that, uh, you have to go through several people in order to make an appointment to talk to some of these pastors. I don't understand that. I, you know, I believe that uh, you shouldn't have a church that's so big that you don't know the people in it. Because you don't know who's coming in. You don't know who's coming out. Uh, I, I'm not uh, opposed to growth. I'm about intimacy. I'm about relationship. I think that that's the most important thing because Jesus made himself available. There were things that uh, he did with his disciples. He ate with them. He Walk with them. He talked to them. He cared for them. He knew who their family members were. There are some uh, pastors who are not concerned about who your family members are. They only know you by your ties. And there are people who are gifted to do things in a big way with money. And if you have more money, then you should do more things with it. So, you know, Jesus wasn't impressed with people that had money. Matter of fact, he referred to a woman that had two mites and said that she gave more than those that had it to give because she gave all that she had. It came from a place where she was a cheerful giver. So, you know, we cannot uh be impressed with what somebody is wearing, you know, how many people are following them around. Because more than likely, some of them in those bigger establishments, uh, the money that you're giving to the church is going to help them. When, you know, we should have a storehouse where we should be about our community. So people really need to ask yourself, are they modeling Christ? 
But some folks, they want a big show. And if they want a big show, then they're getting Christian tainment. Then they're getting what they pay for. Yes, and unfortunately, the price of that is the elimination of Bible doctrine and, and theology, which is what saves people. I received that. Uh, you mentioned uh, about uh, profitability uh, for doctrine, about how profitable it, it is. So can we go to 2 Timothy 3.16, and would you elaborate on that for us? We're going to go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I think that's important. Yes, Second uh, Timothy three sixteen says all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And then seventeen, so that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Amen. So it says every good man, correct? Yes, so that the man of God may be equipped uh, for every every good work. Okay, every good work. So, and, and, and that and that little passage part right there for every good work just speaks to the all sufficiency of Scripture. So, in other words, when it says every good work, it doesn't matter if uh, what your work is in the ministry. The Bible will equip you to do that work. Amen. Um, but when it says all scripture is, is inspired by God and profitable, it profits you. It's good for you. It, it's, it's what you need. It profits you in its teaching. In other words, the teachings of God. It, it profits you in the reproof. In other words, don't do this. In correction, do this. Um, and then overall training in righteousness. You want to be, you want to have a righteous life. You want to have righteous living. Read the scriptures. Obey the scriptures. And then that will then lead you to be adequate and equipped to do the work that God has given you to do. Um, and I don't want to go too far beyond the scriptures, but I, I, I even believe that when it says every good work, it, it, it means that on your job. Of course. Uh, you know, in every, every good work that you do, you need to have the wisdom of God uh, following you to work every day, um, not only to be a testimony, um, but to give you sound judgment on your job, to give you the right words to speak on your job, to give you a submissive spirit to your boss, to your employer on your job, um, to work with other people in harmony and unity, not arguing and bickering and fighting all the time. Um, so the scripture is sufficient not only for ministry but for all parts of life. Right, and even the work that's done in the house, you know, you're a unit, you're a part of the family. I mean, you're a son, I'm a daughter. And then, you know, I was married, then I had a child. You know, you're married, you have a child. Uh, you are you have a wonderful grandmother, God bless her, Wawa. You know, I love you, she's 100 years old. I mean, wow, she's my shero. I, I, I want to I get that, God, I, I want that. <laughs> Amen. But the thing is, is that we are all a part of something. We are working part of something and we're a working part of the body of Christ now how can you be a working part of the body of Christ without scripture without doctrine without sound teaching see I'd like you to go to uh, the beginning of Timothy chapter 2 and would you read the first nine verses I I think this is really really timely where we are right now uh, in uh, what you wrote in your essay. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and would you read verses 1 through 9, please? 
Yes. Um, scripture says, 2 Timothy 3, 1-9, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unloving, unholy, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Hmm. I think that's, that's what you said, huh? Did that yeah, sum it up? That That's a powerful statement by Paul. Always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And I think, and I think Nina, what you have is when, in those last days, this is why you have, I, talk, I use the term spiritual malnourishment, mm-hmm. because you have people that go to church week after week after week, and they're not being fed. They're not getting fed the word. The shepherd, the pastor, is not feeding his flock. He's more concerned with entertaining and making unbelievers comfortable, and while he's too busy feeding the unbelievers, the believers who he's been charged to preach to are spiritually malnourished. And it's what Paul means when he says they're always learning, but they can never get to the real truth. Why? Because they're not being fed. And then, I always believe this, Nina, that when you have a man in the pulpit who is an excellent Bible teacher, it puts a hunger and a desire for the people in his congregation to want to read more. Remember in Acts 17, when Paul was preaching, and it said that the Thessalonians were noble because they went back into the Scriptures Mm -hmm. to see if Paul was preaching it correctly. Why? Because they had just heard one of the greatest preachers to ever preach, and they were blown away, and they wanted to get back into that Word. So one, one way that pastors can have a congregation that reads the Bible on their own and has, has a desire to do it on their own, a disciplined study throughout the week, is when they model that in their preaching. So you can listen to a preacher and tell if he spent hours and hours and hours preparing that sermon. And when people hear the truth revealed and taught clearly, it just puts a burning in them to, you know what, I want some of that. I want more of that. But when you get up and you've got uh, two points in a, in a poem and a couple of cracked, funny jokes that you want to say, people walk out of there and like, well, I don't want to read that. My pastor doesn't even read the Bible, so why should I read it? No, and uh, refuses to even carry a Bible. I, I just don't know when the Bible went out of style. You know, a lot of people, uh, they preach sermons and they don't have a Bible. And, and 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 that's amazing to me. And Jesus was always quoting his own word. He always quoted scripture. He always had it rolled out. Can you imagine? This is yeah, God and, wrapped in flesh. Yes, God and, wrapped in flesh. Do you hear me, man of God? And he always unrolled the scriptures and read them verbatim and he was the word 
and he was the word living and he did this you know it's like he prayed he went away to be with his father to pray can you imagine if god wrapped in flesh in the form of jesus is taking time to go away to pray to his father, taking the time to have the scriptures unrolled so he can quote them verbatim. Doesn't that mean something? Well, yeah. And, you know, and when the Bible says that um, the Pharisees and scribes were amazed, it says because he spoke as authority, <laughs> not as a scribe. In other words, see, when Pharisees and scribes spoke, they quoted other scribes and Pharisees. Yes. When Jesus spoke, he quoted himself. Right. He, he quoted the word. That's why he always went back and said to them, have you not read? Right. Have you not read the scriptures? Right. And that just, and that just incensed their anger. And he because, says, you speak of me. Yeah. Because, yet, yet you honor men, but you speak of me. We got right. a call coming in. Uh, I want you to hold on and let's get the call. Hello, you're on Save the Lost at All Costs, and God bless you, and thank you for waiting. Right, God bless you, Sister Nina. This is Brother Roger. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. I'm blessed, man of God, and thank you for calling in. Actually, I've been listening to uh, to my cousin, my brother, Tim. Tim, this is Roger, Cousin Roger. Uh, it's a great, great word. I've been listening. Just wanted to uh, thank you for sharing uh, your your gift with us. And I don't have a question, just a comment. Just uh, thank you, Roger. Just comment. Good to hear this, from you, man. Uh, this bless. So I'll... I'll keep it short. That's all I wanted to say. And hopefully you'll come back uh, next week for part two because I'm tuning in. Thank you, Roger. Good to hear from you. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. And, Nina, what I was saying is that when Jesus said, have you not read, it literally infuriated the (laughs) Pharisees because they, they, they walked around as if they were the religious elite. Mm -hmm. And the thing about it was, they're almost like Paul. They were always in the process of learning. They knew the law, mm-hmm. but they didn't know the knowledge of the truth. Mm-hmm. And they had truth personified in front of them, and they still rejected. Right. So going back to what you were saying, it, it, it's all about the Scriptures, and, and no one is in a position to edit God. Remember Paul said, I think it's in Acts 20, he said, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Right. I'm preaching all of the Bible. I'm not picking out parts and things that I just want to emphasize. I'm going to give it all to you. And then once I do that, then you now have the decision to make. But it's not, and that's why he said, First Corinthians, he said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul was under divine mandate. Amen. And I think we have a lot of guys in the pulpit now who don't really get that. Right. Uh, They don't. We have another caller. We're going to take a call. And then uh, I would like us to go to 1 Timothy, and I would like us to start at verse 3. And I think we need to go down to probably about uh, verse... Let, let's let's go all the way to verse 11. We're going to take this call, then we're going to go to 1 Timothy, and we're going to start at uh, chapter 1, verse 3, and we're going to go down to 11. So we're going to take this call. Hello, you're on Save the Lost at All Costs, and God bless you. Hello. Uh, I was listening to your subject Friday night, and then I heard that you was going to be on today at, at 3, 3.02. Amen. Well, 
But I am so glad to hear this subject because this is what I've been talking about all the time in ministry. And it was like I couldn't really get the help that I need because I was being threatened. And I'm still being threatened in Las Vegas for fighting for a principle. And one thing about me, I'm going to keep it real with you when I come. You know what I'm saying? Sure. I, I understand. Punches. It's only fair that I tell you what I'm involved in. But then I see that ministry plays on people's pain, on their fears, because of the war that they're going through. And it's like, okay, well, I can get this because they're at this stage. And I'm like, unless you can really help me, I'm I'm out of here. Right, right. Well, I would I would tell them to look at the book of James. And the book of James, you know, initially talks about count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. So whatever yeah. is befalling you, you ought to count it all joy because at the end of the day, you ought to let patience work its perfect thing and then you want for nothing the thing is is that um, you know god created us and you have to have a testimony you have to know that it's real that that you're standing on like the apostle paul knew it didn't matter what men did it didn't matter what men did to his body he was convinced you know totally totally and so sometimes you know adversity is about building your faith and when you're working out, you don't know what you can lift if your muscle is not challenged. So I encourage people to uh, tune in next week. Uh, sister, we appreciate you calling in. Brother Tim, we're coming down to the last minute, so uh, we'll hold off on First Timothy uh, and around, uh, you know, chapter 1, 3 to 11, and then we'll get back in it. But I appreciate you calling in, sister. I appreciate your support, and I hope that we can have you call in and come back next week and listen with us. Yes, because one thing I did realize, God was with me. Well, I always knew that he was with me. All right. So he lets me know that I'm not alone because uh, they came in my house and cut my gas stove on. You know, it's, it's like one of these sneak attacks. But Amen. God is but we're with st- me. We're, he's with you. So truth and love, does doctrine divide part two? We love yes. you. Save the loss at all costs. And God bless. God bless you. God bless you more. It is our humble prayer that the Most High God of all creation and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, continues to bless you and yours without cease for tuning in today and supporting this great move of God with your generous donations. Save the Lost at All Costs is a Holy Spirit-filled, live-called-in weekly radio ministry that has been airing since 2005 and serving in the greater Las Vegas community. We can be heard every Sunday at 3.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Las Vegas. Vegas's very own Christian Talk radio stations, 1060 AM and 101.5 FM. Also, we are audio and video streamed in real time during our live broadcast at www.kkvv.com and our website, www.savethelostlv.org. If you would like to re-listen to a previous broadcast at no charge, make an online secure donation, or learn more about our ministry, please visit our website at www.savethelosslv.org.
If you prefer, you can mail in a donation. Address it to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc., P.O. Box number 335852, North Las Vegas, 89033. Again, our P.O. Box number is 335852, North Las Vegas, 89033. All donations made to Save the Lost at All Cost, Inc. are 100% tax deductible. For more information, please feel free to call or text us at 702-219-6882. Again, 702-219-6882. We would like to thank you again. Remember to remain in Christ, stay prayed up, tune in, and don't forget to save the lost at all costs, no matter what.